Hey there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Stefan Tager. Welcome to the Revival Podcast. We're so glad that you are here. We're on episode two of season two, two, two. We drop these every Tuesday because it's the day of double blessings. Because in the creation on the Tuesday, God said it was good twice. And so that's why we drop them on Tuesday, because that's what we're all about. We want to talk about the things that are double good, the good news of the gospel. And we follow conference talks, and we pick a new one every week. We have a schedule that you can go check out, go follow Good News Brand on Instagram, or go sign up for the newsletter that you can find there too, and you can see the schedule that we'll follow. But we want to pick out the things that are reviving right? Where we just like, hey, what kind of things thrill your soul? God does not pour out burdens in the restoration. <laughs> he pours out <laughs> like the bestest news, the way to live life richly and more fully. And so that's what we try to focus on. 25 minutes on your drive to school or work or on a run or whatever. And today we're looking at Sister Tammy Runia's talk from uh, Saturday night session. What are they going to do with that Saturday night session, man? They keep changing their minds, right? What's it going to be? What are we going to have it going to be, you know? But this one was so good. I thought it was so awesome. And this talk made me cheer legit, like out loud. I'm so happy about it. So we're going to jump into that. Stefan is going to start with something so smart. You are going to find as you listen to this podcast, if you're just new here, welcome. How smart Stefan is. I'm the dumb one. Oh, in gosh. the group, I was just—I'm <laughs> just baiting you to give me a compliment right now. That's what I'm trying to do. Dave, you are so smart. Oh, Stefan, <laughs> stop! Um, but we were talking about something right before we started, and I said, "Stop, stop, stop!" You totally have to teach that, and it has something—I promise—has something to do with this talk. But okay, teach your flow theory or whatever you're going to do. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but one of the most unpleasant emotions that. I actually don't know if you actually feel this. So let me explain this to you, Guilt? Dave. No. <laughs> so most normal humans, Dave, they experience something called worry and anxiety. I've known you since... Tell, two me, tell me more. <laughs> since 2008. And I, I honestly don't think I can remember a time where I saw you worried about something. And so... <laughs> I actually just started to think... Like, what have I worried about <laughs> recently? Everyone probably worries, right? Yeah, do you? I'm trying to think. So there's this one positive psychologist, and he basically, he's sort of like... The Wait, what did you call him? Positive psychologist. So a positive psychologist looks at like, they study like when humans are flourishing and doing well, why are they doing well? Really? Yeah. Ah. Is there a negative psychologist? I just think it's the rest of it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, that's not true. But, <laughs> no. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to yeah, know that. Yeah. I and, so, and so one of the things that they talk about is this flow state. It's really simple. You probably have heard of it before. It's where people get lost in an activity. The ego sort of disappears. Time goes away. And what they say is, is that when your skills are just slightly under the challenge that's presented you, then you are more likely to fall into flow state, right? It's nothing like most of us can sort of identify with that. So like, okay, so if your skills are just above or just below, just below, oh, so, okay, right. So, so it's just hard enough. You have to try really hard, but it's not overwhelming. Yeah, they say anxiety shows up when your skills are quite a bit under what the task is before you, like that you, and so when you're like, I just, I just can't do this, and I'm supposed to do this. And I don't have the skill set to do this. That's one of the sources of just 
anxiety, which it's just one of the worst emotions that we can experience as humans. Somehow I want to not forget that line that you said, because I'm thinking of two things and I want to just <laughs> hold on to them. That one where, where your skill set is just below. So the idea of there being a challenge, I think that's going to show up in some of the things that we learn, you know, in this talk. And then the other thing you just said where, oh man. When you're faced with something that you just don't have the capacity. And then you said, and you're supposed to. And you're supposed that to. That idea right. that I feel like that thought, let's not like lose track of that because there's something about that thought that in a gospel context or in a living, trying to live the gospel context that I might accidentally assign myself supposed to's. Right. You know, like this is the way it's supposed to work out. This is the way that you're supposed to do a certain thing. I don't know where that comes from, but we do that a lot. I almost hear that word, that, that word being used all the time. And I think there's going to be something to that. I didn't yeah. want to lose that. In connection with that, Sister Runia's talk, she's going to talk about something we feel obligated to do in a good way. And that's care about our families and our loved ones. And a lot of us experience a lot of worry and anxiety about our family lives and how things are going. Are we raising our kids the right way? And then she makes this promise at the beginning of her talk. She says this, is it possible to begin to see as God sees, even while living on the surface of this planet, to feel this overview feeling? That's such an interesting way to describe mm -hmm. it, first of all. Mm -hmm. I believe we can, she continues, through the eye of faith, zoom out and view ourselves and our families with hope and joy. One of the reasons why I love that is she's not just saying, take an eternal perspective, which is an awesome, true, and beautiful thing. But she says, you can do that in such a way that it actually fills you with hope and joy. Currently. Currently, today. right now. Yeah. So we're not just saying, take an eternal perspective, but learn how to do it in a way that actually anchors your soul and gives you hope and joy. I've probably said this a hundred times because I actually think this is most helpful for me when I approach the word faith is to use the way the Old Testament uses uses that word, which is trust. Like, I don't think that word faith itself as a noun shows up. It's more like trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And if you say that phrase, the eye of trust, that actually is more helpful for me. I can sink my teeth into that a little bit better to say, oh, the way you, you view things with trust. I'm trusting in something bigger, holier, stronger, more capable you know, than I am. I'm not fit. My skill set cannot reach what I want to happen, but God's can. There's just something about that right at the beginning, that promise. And that promise goes on too. I love where this thing, everything you and you and you are worried about, it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And it's interesting who can, who can say that, right? So my parents were flying to Korea to pick me up as a, a missionary and their plane got struck by lightning. I think twice, if I remember right. Wow. But anyways. Day of double blessings. It was, yeah. <laughs> it's either the, it was either that. Anyways, anyways, this plane gets struck by lightning. Boom. And like all the lights fluttered and everything and everyone screamed. And apparently planes can keep going if they get struck by lightning. So that's good news, everybody. <laughs> and the lady, it was a Korean air flight and she gets on and in Korean, she like you know, I started to create everyone that wasn't made up. That was like, <laughs> and she goes through and she explains something for like a minute long. And then like they do on international flights, she switched over to English. And she said, ladies and gentlemen, everything will be okay. And that's all she said. <laughs> and everyone was like, yeah, right. 
You told all the Koreans where the parachutes were. <laughs> That's what you did. But like she translated whatever she did for a minute into English. She said, everything will be all right. And not anyone can say that and it be trustworthy. I would I like I want to ask that lady, like, how do you know? Are you Thor, the goddess of thunder and lightning? And like, what's your you know what I'm saying? Like, she can't say that, and I actually feel better about it. The stewardess on Korean air. But if God says it, then I can believe him. I can lean on that. It's a wall that's not going anywhere. Right. Know? And this is why authority matters. It's like, this is why it matters who said, not just, right. not just truth, right. but who's talking, who's saying it, right? What we're going to get in this talk is not just that we need to learn to trust God, but we also need to learn how to reflect that kind of steadiness Mm-hmm. And that, and having that anchor of hope towards others. Watch, watch what she says here. I, I went through a rough patch my senior year in high school when I wasn't making great choices. I remember seeing my mom crying, and I wondered if I disappointed her. At the time, I worried that her tears meant she'd lost hope for me, and if she didn't feel hope for me, maybe there wasn't a way back. Mm. But my dad was more practiced at zooming out and taking the long view. He'd learned from experience that worry feels a lot like love but it's not the same. He used the eye of faith to see that everything would work out and his hopeful approach changed me. I mean, how many times I just wish that would sink deep into my soul, that worry, it feels like love, but it's not always exactly the same thing. Because as a parent, I think if I'm worked up, if I'm anxious, if I'm worried about my kids, oh, I must care about them. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the same thing. Love is something different. And she's actually going to help us know what love is. Can I, can I just read this part really? Or do you want to say yeah, something? Yeah, no, 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 no. I just, the one thing recently that I have worried about is a person that I care really deeply about seeming to question his faith and, you know, a floundering a little bit in faith. And it genuinely worried me. And I taught seminary for years and years and years and parents will be worried about their kids. And it was so easy for me on the other side of the desk to, you know, just be like, everything's going to be okay. Like God's in the long game with people. But then all of a sudden, when it's someone that's really dear to you, you're just like, it's interesting how quickly and easily that can move into, into worry. When you care about someone, when you love someone deeply, you will worry about them. Right. But she gives us some more insight here when she says, before we interact with a loved one, we can ask ourselves this question. Is what I'm about to do or say helpful or hurtful? Mm. That's when worry becomes something other than love, when it's actually hurting the situation rather than helping it. Yeah, Worry might be a fruit of, of really caring about someone, but if it starts to spill into something where it's just hurting the situation, it's no longer love. And I'm actually guilty of like reverting to fear tactic. <laughs> so that I like don't lose somebody. Like I have experienced how easily I can slip into. And if I'm really, really honest with myself, it's like, oh, they're floundering or they're, you know, moving off the path or whatever phrase you're gonna, you're gonna use actually like hurts me and I don't wanna feel the hurt. And so I wanna do whatever I can to like not feel that, <laughs> right, not feel that right. hurt. And if I have to use whatever tactics possible, and I think that's where, I mean, I definitely do see that happening in me, I can see how easy that is to move into like a, 
like a really worried or anxious place about it. And then if I'm acting out of that worry and anxiousness and fear, I do think I would be more prone to hurtful comments and, and no tactics question. that don't help the situation at all. Yeah. In fact, she tells us instead of letting worry become something that's not helpful, what we should do, she says, our words are one of our superpowers. Mm. And I just want to stop right there. We live in an age that puts a high premium on screens and movies and visual, but words still are powerful. Words still do something. She says, our words are one of our superpowers and family members are like human blackboards standing in front of us saying, write what you think of me. These messages, whether intentional or unintentional, should be hopeful and encouraging. Mm -hmm. And so rather than saying, okay, how do I act out of a place of worry? How can I make decisions as a parent or loved one out of a place of hopefulness and encouragement? And that's how I can turn worry into something more positive. And I think, you know, some of the advice that she gives throughout here is, is really, it's like, okay, what do I replace it with? then, you know, because I could worry and anxiousness would lead to criticism, but like hope and love will lead to encouragement. Like naturally when you have a conversation with somebody, if I saw you and believed and had hope for you and was like, everything's going to be okay. If I knew that, if I trusted in the long game, then some of the things I could say, I wouldn't be really quick to try and fix what was wrong. But I would be, it would be much easier for me to see you and see what's going good and see what's going right and listen to where you were at. If I knew, David, you don't actually have to fix this, mm. you know? You have a different role than fixing it. Then I could play that part. This is what you were saying earlier, right? right? And it will stretch me a little to play the part of encouragement and hope and, and love, but I know how to do it. I have the skill set for it. You know, and I think if I try to take a job that's not mine, somewhere in here, she says that, right? She brings up that idea. I was like, oh, you're probably really worrisome and anxious because you're trying to take a job that's not your job to actually right. take. You don't have the skill set for it. So it's yeah. causing that anxiety in you. Absolutely. And, I, and that's why, I mean, I mean, just as an aside, that's one of the best pieces of evidence for God is that there are some things in this life we just sort of realize, like, I can't do that on my own. And then there has to be something or someone else that can help me with this. And that, that little hint of this seems outside of my power might just point to the fact that there is someone who has all power, who has perfect love, who can help the situation. Mm. She gives us really practical advice. She says, sometimes what we need is empathy more than advice. When people come to me and they ask me questions, a student or whatever, I'm just start thinking in philosophers, general authority quotes, scriptures, psychologists. And she's reminding me like, mm, that's not what people need most of the time, listening more than a lecture. Mm -hmm. Someone who hears and wonders, how would I have to feel to say what they just said? I just think we have to be careful when we talk about trying to have empathy, because sometimes when we try to show empathy, we can make it about ourselves rather than what the person is saying. But I just know in my experience there's a difference in me saying like, oh, that must be hard or that's difficult or restating back, right, what someone's saying. And there's a difference between all of that and doing more of what she's talking about and saying, can I really approach this from a place of empathy? One of the ways that I do that is I try to think in my, my mind, whether I say it out loud or not, and in my heart, how have I felt similar? 
I try to get myself emotionally in the same place that they are. Mm. If they're going through something that's overwhelming, I try to ask myself, when have I felt that? Mm. And then I can actually speak from a place of authenticity when I try to offer empathy. Yeah. And I think I just keep thinking about sitting in that conversation. And then when it's over, what end result do I want to happen? I really love the advice throughout this talk of how to be that person who is, she talks about, I think her dad being a cheerleader for her and everybody needs someone like that. And there's a couple bits of advice that she says in here. One is I could have a an intention that every conversation I have, people leave that feeling like I believe in them hmm. and they could leave that feeling a little bit more hopeful. And like, I remember a, a friend of mine, in fact, giving me advice when I became a bishop and saying, you won't be able to fix people's problems, but you will be able to breathe hope into the situation. And that I took from day one until day end of being a bishop. And then, and even beyond that, I just want to enter into conversations. And there's a part of me that's a fixer. I want to fix things. I want to give the right advice, you know, but if I could maybe let that go a little bit and say, how about you become the person who just breathes hope into whatever that situation is, you know, like she said, like I saw those tears and I thought maybe there's no hope for me. You know, and I don't want someone to leave a conversation with me. Jesus is hope personified. And so if I'm bringing him into the conversation and into a situation, I'm bringing hope into it also. I love that so much because this is beyond just learning communication techniques or principles of happily family life. Those are all good things. But watch what Cicerunia says here. She says, let's zoom out to view family relationships as a powerful vehicle that teach us the lessons we came here to learn as we turn to the Savior. Like something really unique in our theology is that family relationships or anything like that is one of the key ways we actually learn to become like Christ, mm -hmm. right? It's in our own homes and our own relationships, our friendships, that we actually practice discipleship. I mean, you and me, we've had jobs where we just talk about the Savior all day long, but we get to learn really about the savior and like who he is when we go home. Yeah. We actually have to practice being a disciple within the walls of our own home. Yeah. Within with friends and family right. and, you know, people like right. there's just a small laboratory of people that each of us get to actually like live out what discipleship looks like. And I think it's really uh, hopeful for her to remind us and to say that not missteps and miscalculations are not just possible. They're probable when you're doing that. If you could be so worried about not getting it right hmm. and about doing it correctly and doing it perfectly. And she kind of is like, let's let that go actually and say, you're going to make mistakes in this process. And then she says this, and interestingly, those challenging moments where you do make a mistake are going to be the very things that help us become more like the savior. Hmm. Like I, I love when Eve leaves the garden of Eden and she says, were it not for our transgression, we never would have known. And then you could actually fill in the blank. You're like, were it not for that misstep, I never would have learned this. And to see like, wait, even your mistakes, God can weave into the pattern of becoming. Like he, he can use even those. Like you didn't, it wasn't a setback. He's going to use it for good. He's going to use it for learning. 
right? The, the very first historical recorded revelation, the Doctrine and Covenants is section three, it, not time-wise, section two comes before, but as far as like early revelations, uh, section three, and that's the message of section three. It's Joseph, you lost 116 pages, but God's going to take this if you repent and make it into something better. And what a hopeful thing. What, that's first of all right there to say that, to communicate that to other people. It's just a helpful thing. And she, to know that, like, with what you're going to say and do in a situation. Right, right. You know, it's like, you, listen, you're not going to be right. able to ruin someone. She gives this advice at the end of the talk that she was like, the only failure is the one, is the home or the person who stops trying. That's when you could call something a, a failure. But other than that, man, God's going to take and turn these things for good. There's no way to become a perfect spouse, parent, son, daughter, grandchild, mentor, friend. There's a million ways to be a really good one. Hmm. That's hopeful for me as that, that person who tries to be a person of hope and encouragement to others. Yeah, she says, love is the thing that changes hearts. It yes, is- amen. That was such an important part for that for me because there are a lot of other tactics. Right. But I was like, let me, the one that actually works is love and encouragement and hope and the, all the synonyms of it. Yeah, and we can, as parents, and, and I, you know, and I keep going back to this, but this applies in lots of situations. We can get our kids to behave a certain way. I can get my kids to do their chores, yeah, right? But if I want to change hearts, love is the thing that changes hearts. It is the purest motive of all, and others can feel it. That's the thing that is so beautiful and so hard about. I mean, this truth is so beautiful and so hard because love, people can sense it, and they can also sense it when it's not there. Yeah. And when you first offer love to someone, they may initially kind of question and watch. You have to sort of work through that moment. But once they sense that it's the purest motive of all, then their hearts will soften. Yeah. I love this idea of, okay, so what would I do right now to become that kind of person? And she uses the analogy of eating from the tree of life. And she just says, you become that kind of person by experiencing that for yourself. Experience the love that God has for you. Experience the his whisper to you that says, that's going to be okay. Experience his hope for yourself again and again and again, and then it will naturally start to reflect out of you. Like loved people love people. You've heard, you know, people say like hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. I think the opposite is true. Loved people love people. People who are if someone has hope in me, it's natural for me to have hope in others. Yeah, she says, we can stay at the tree and partake of the fruit with a smile on our face, letting the light of Christ in our eyes become something others can count on in their darkest hours. We don't believe that we have the capacity, and this is good news, we don't believe we have the capacity to generate love on our own. It's a gift. It's a gift of grace that comes as we experience the love of God as manifested through his son, Jesus. Yeah, let him do his work. And when you study what that work looked like, it says it's the Savior's work to bring loved ones back. His work, his time, and it's our work to provide the hope and the heart they can come to. We're not authorized to condemn, nor do we have the power to redeem, but we've been authorized to exercise his love. We've seen it. We've experienced it. He took the darkest night of... Calvary's cross, and he turned it into Easter morning. Imagine what he can do with any of our stories or the people that we love and care about. The strongest communication of hope and love in us was the cross. And when we're 
stand in awe of how much he must care about us and believe in our capacity to someday become like him, then that will naturally flow from us to others. Amen. All right. That's Revival. See y'all next week. Revival.